1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. The word of the Lord says this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Amen. You may be seated. the Lord. Let's pray. Pray together for the sermon time here. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for one another. Thank you for the church that we could gather here together and, and encourage each other and pray together and hear your word together and seek you together and find you together and experience you with one another. We just thank you for your grace today, Lord, and pray that you lead us through this passage in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, 1 Peter chapter 3, the last five verses, 18 through 22. Got a good start on these last week. And this is one of the most challenging passages of Scripture in the, in the New Testament. So take heart if it's difficult or challenging for you to, to break it down and understand it. But that's our goal as we work through it together today, that we would walk away with an understanding to be able to look at these verses and have a crystal clear understanding so that we can turn right around and pass these on to the disciples that we are making, to the people that we are building up with the word. So last week I gave you a, a really a mechanical outline of the text. And, and what I mean by that is that it, it was not necessarily the most um, user-friendly, the most memorable, but it was a breakdown of verses 18 through 22. Um, this week I will be giving you a little more of a streamlined outline. So if you still have the leftover outline for last week, the wording is going to change and, and things like that, but hopefully it will be all the more memorable, okay? So today I'm going to give you three ways to arm yourselves to have courage like Christ. Three ways to arm yourselves to have courage like Christ. And the, the first way is going to be found in verse 20. And the principle there is to set your hope on salvation. Set your hope on salvation. It's interesting that we pray today about the last things, right? 
Because as believers, we have a great hope that we're looking forward to. And we're going to see today that it's, it's not just, you know, a, a salvation that's far away. There's salvation to be had and to be held every single day, right? God delivers us in the here and now. He will deliver us in the future. So anyway, set your hope on salvation. God is a great deliverer and he'll bring salvation time and time again. Uh, verse 21 We're going to hear an exhortation or or see our second way to arm ourselves to have courage like Christ. And that second way is to stay committed to Christ. Stay committed to Christ. We are in it to win it. (laughs) We are in it for the long haul. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We know that we have staked our hope in the right place. Therefore, we will stand firm in the grace of God. So... The second way to arm yourself is to stay committed to Christ. And thirdly, in verse 22, we're going to be challenged or encouraged or exhorted to set our minds on our sovereign king. Set our minds on our sovereign king. Um, I think that this could all culminate, and my hope is that it will all culminate in a prayer, a very simple prayer, something like this. God, I trust you to deliver me. God, I will never leave you. And Jesus, I turn to you in worship. And I seek you. So that is my hope and prayer that this sermon, you could just take it home with you and you could remember those simple but profound and powerful things to pray as you face suffering and as you need courage in your life. You're going you're to face suffering. You're going to need courage. This world is full of darkness, it's full of trials, it's full of uncertainty, it's full of suffering. We're going to need courage on a day-to-day basis. If you're like me, there are days when you wake up and and you're asking yourself, where's the the nearest cave that I can just run into and hide? You just feel that. You just feel that sense of like fear, that that sense of foreboding, that those anxieties are just on the rise. Do you relate to that? You need courage. You need courage. Peter's first century audience needed courage, didn't they? They were facing slander, accusations, imprisonment, and death for the sake of their faith. They were facing the powers of darkness. Satan was attacking the church, trying to to destroy it and tear it apart. As he is to this day, they needed courage. You look in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 there, look at what Peter says. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking. Arm yourselves. Be prepared to suffer. Take courage. Peter is teaching the church how to take courage, where to find courage. Similar to the author of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 37 of Hebrews. It says, for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Same exhortation. Different wording, different book of the Bible, but same thought, same thrust. Live by faith. Do not shrink back. 
take courage and follow the Lord. So we find ourselves in need of courage on a continual basis. And today, Peter wants us to come close. He wants us to hear the words of encouragement that he offered the first century church so that we might take heart as well. So our first, our first principle today, set your hope on salvation, is found in verse 20. In verse 20. In verse 20, it says that God's patience, if you want to look at your Bibles with me there, I'm picking it up about uh, halfway through the verse there. God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. God will provide salvation. Peter refers back to the story of the ark. And if you remember the story of the ark found in Genesis chapter 7, I'll read to you from Genesis 7. You don't have to turn there right now, but listen to what the Bible says happened in the days of Noah. Verse 17 of Genesis 7. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So if you look back at the Old Testament, this is the greatest story of judgment in the Old Testament. I did some research to try to get an estimate of how many people were on the earth in those days. I found numbers from anywhere from 10 million to uh, billions. Um, we don't know how many people were on the earth, but there are ways to, to try to calculate that. But this was the greatest story of judgment in the Old Testament. That's what Peter is, is bringing up here. These saints who are, who are struggling, who are being persecuted, these saints who are in need of courage, God says, or Peter says, take heart. Judgment will surely come. And not only judgment on the wicked, but salvation for the righteous. You think about it. How, how, if, if you're in trouble, if you're in danger from the wicked, what are, what are the two options that God has to save you? Number one, he can... He can either take you out of that situation and he can remove you and put you someplace far away where you're safe. Or the other thing that he could do is he could destroy your enemies so that you never have to worry about them again. But either way, his salvation will come. He will deliver his people. Set your hope on this, Peter says. Think about that. God's patience waited in the days of Noah. What was God waiting for? He was waiting for Noah to build the ark. Hurry, Noah. I'm ready to judge, the, I'm ready to judge this planet. I'm ready to, 
to deal with your enemies. I'm ready to wipe the slate clean and start over. I'm ready to slay the wicked. I'm ready to pour out my justice and my wrath on these people who will not listen. Day after day after day, I speak to them. They will not listen. They could care less that you're building that ark. They could care less that, that, that you're obedient and faithful to me. Hurry, Noah. God's patience is waiting. The ark is being prepared. And in that boat, a few, only eight souls out of 80 million or 800 million or 8 billion or how many other people were in the world, only eight souls God saved and yet he saved his people. That was a dramatic, a dramatic story. <laughs> a dramatic judgment of the wicked. Uh, you know, the, the children's books, right? With Noah and the, bar, the, the boat and the little giraffes, you know, and the, poking their head up through the roof. You know, it looks all happy. This is not a, a fun story, though, is it? Millions and millions of people, men, women, children, judged by God. And nevertheless, he kept his promise to save his people. So whatever trial you're facing, no matter what kind of salvation or deliverance you need, God has promised that he will deliver us. And we see examples of that in the Old Testament. And perhaps, this, I mean, this is the greatest story of deliverance in the Old Testament was the story of the ark. Not only was one family saved and the rest of the world destroyed, but you were saved on that ark, right? <laughs> Think about it. God could have just said, hey, I'm, I'm done with the whole of humanity. This is, this is over. In Genesis 6, it said that he was sad that he ever created any of us. He was sad that he created humanity in the first place because they were so wicked. But God spared Noah, and thereby he saved us as well. Yeah, he has saved in the past, and he will save over and over again. Haven't you seen that in your own life? Hasn't God delivered you time and time again? You say, I put my trust in Christ to save me on the final day. That's good. And he will. But one way that we know that for sure is that we see in our lives, day in and day out, the faithfulness of God. We get ourselves uh, worried and worked up. We're nervous. We're anxious. And the next thing you know, God is once again coming to the rescue. And he builds your faith up through that. I don't get worried about the same things that I used to. Why? Because I have seen God be faithful over and over and over again. Now, I still get worried about things. I heard one pastor say, new level, new devil, right? Like, once you, you graduate from this class, you graduate from, like, fighting these, these principalities and these powers, you move up to that next level. You're fighting your way to heaven, so to speak. And every time you move up, there's always, there's always more, <laughs> There's always more burdens, more responsibilities. And yet we know from looking at the past that God will deliver us. We look at the ark, we see, man, God's a deliverer. He's faithful. He kept his promise to Eve back in the garden that he was going to send a savior, that he wasn't going to destroy humanity like we deserved. He was faithful to do that and to preserve that promise through the ark. And we look back at our own experience and we see, man, God, you delivered me from finals last week. <laughs> yep. Oh, he delivered me from a lot this past week. Just in a week. Delivered me from my own sin, from my own failures. My own self-serving, self-seeking heart. He delivered me from that. He forgave my sin this week. He's so good. He always delivers us. So set your hope on salvation. When you're in the midst of a trial, 
when you're going through hard times. Believe that God will deliver you again and again and again and again. No matter what you're facing, even in the face of death, God will deliver me. Do you see how that can give you courage when you have that conviction that he is a God who is mighty to save? The same God who, who waited patiently for Noah to build that ark. It's the same God. The same God who rescues us. Today, from our trials and our pain, if he can save a guy from a worldwide flood, can't he save you from your smaller problem in comparison? And he will. Brothers and sisters, he's going to deliver us. And it's, it's glorious when he does, isn't it? Isn't it glorious when God delivers? Isn't it glorious when God comes through? Doesn't that just make you want to sing a new song? Doesn't that make you just want to dance in church even though we don't do that here? We should. I'm waiting for the day. Come on. Somebody. <laughs> guys are kind of looking down when I said that. <laughs> Like, oh, Samuel, that's, no, that's awkward. No. <laughs> Dancing, celebration. Man, when salvation comes, it's worth shouting over. It's worth celebrating. And we have that to look forward to. Not only in the distant future, but what about... Now. Yes, in the day-to-day. You know, I got a glimpse of this salvation and the glory that's coming. I think we need to do two things when it comes to the hope of salvation. We need to remember that he, he will save us. We don't have to wait for salvation to happen, you know, on the final day. We can expect that in God's way, in God's time, at his acceptable time, according to his loving kindness, he will rescue us however he sees fit. We can trust him for that in the day to day. But we can, we can look forward to glory in the future. And we can look forward to the day to day salvation as well. I got a glimpse of this future glory that we have. And I think that we need to, we need to meditate on that. Peter, Peter tells the church, remember that in chapter 1. You might have to help me find it. But he says, set your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you. Okay, chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter says, spend time thinking about this, setting your mind on this future hope and this reality that we have. See, salvation to us feels like it's never going to come, like it's years and years away. Oh, one day when I die, that, that, yeah, that'll be good. But I, I need hope today. We need hope. We need to be thinking about the salvation that we're going to experience. We need to rejoice in that and set our hopes on that. So last Sunday night, I I went to a concert, uh, a concert here in the neighborhood. And one of the songs that was sang was called Mary, Did You Know? You guys know that? Well, there's a powerful part of that song. It's the bridge of that song. And it's this this climax of the song. It it builds and it's, it's, it's powerful. And uh, the guy singing just had a powerful voice, a guy named Danny Goki, powerful voice. And he said, and, and these are the words of that song. He said, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again. The lame will leap, the dumb will speak the praises of the Lamb. Talking about the life of Jesus and when he came and lived in this world. 
The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again, the lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Lamb. And when he hit that part of the song, and these background singers were in the back singing, and it was just such a powerful proclamation of Jesus and who he was and who he is. That I mean, in that moment, it, it, I just don't know if I felt a whole lot different than what I'll feel like in heaven. It was just so glorious. I was so enraptured. I was so caught up in that moment. It was like the glory of God was so powerful and so present. It was like God's great and awesome heart just came down from heaven. And it was just so close that you could touch it. And I was just overwhelmed. I was in awe. I was amazed by the presence of God, just listening, hearing that song, seeing that proclamation, experience the glory of God. And I was so full of hope in that moment and so full of courage. And it made me think that if, if I could just snap my fingers and experience God's presence like I am right now, at any given time, I would never be afraid of anything. You see what I'm saying? Like the hope that I experienced that moment, the joy, the power of God's presence. So powerful, so strong. See, we have a great hope. And what I was experiencing in that moment is, is just a taste. It was a foretaste of what it's going to be like to be in heaven. I have this great hope in the midst of suffering. I also know that in the meantime, God's going to bail me out on a daily basis. If you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 34. Turn with me. Psalm 34. So Psalm 34 should sound familiar to you if you've been in our services because... We know that in 1 Peter chapter 3, or in 1 Peter, his letter, he refers back to Psalm 34 at least two times. And if you look back at this psalm, and I just want to encourage you guys to read this psalm and to meditate on this psalm. And as you do, you'll see this recurring theme. Look at verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Look at verse six. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his, all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Look at verse 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Not just future, but in the day to day. We have this hope of salvation. We know that God is a rescuer. We know that God's going to bring justice, that God is going to judge the wicked. That's what this psalm is all about as well. But he's going to rescue the righteous out of all their troubles. What troubles? The, the troubles that the wicked bring upon them. The troubles that they face and experience because they live in a sinful world. I love verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Now, I especially love this verse in this psalm 
Because there are a couple of other places, a few other places that the Bible says this kind of thing, that God is close to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. But in those other contexts, it's always about sin. They're crushed, in, they're crushed in spirit because of their sin. They're broken in heart because they know that they're sinners. But in the context of this psalm, it's not about sin. It's about deliverance and it's about salvation because they're being crushed and they're being broken by the persecution, the suffering that they're facing in this world. The Lord is near to the broken heart. He saves. He rescues. He delivers the crushed in spirit. Have no fear. Take courage. Yes, God will save you on the last day, but he will save you so many times in the meantime. I love verse 19. Look at that with me. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That's why you're here today. Because God has brought you safely sailing through another week of storms, right? That's why you're here. That's why you gather in the the house of God to celebrate and to rejoice. You think back through your week as you're singing those worship songs, as we're praying corporately. You think about all the times and all the ways that God has been faithful over your life. Yes. Over this last week. Yes. Today. Yes. He is faithful. Right. And we worship him when we bring that Offering of praise and thanksgiving because he is so good. And we do not have to be afraid. Don't have to be afraid. It doesn't matter how big that theology test is. You don't have to be afraid. It doesn't matter how hard the passage is that you have to preach. It's you don't have to be afraid. (laughs) It doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. You don't have to be afraid. Is it going to be hard? Are you going to be suffering? Yes, but we don't have to be afraid. Because we have a great God who delivers and who saves. You could ask Noah about that when you get to heaven. Right? He'll tell you, oh man, I I built this boat. I got on that boat. It rained. It poured. Everybody died. I survived. I was the only one. I got off that boat. Nobody else on the planet. But God saved me. I found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I found favor on the eyes of the Lord. What a testimony. What a testimony. You don't have to be afraid. Exhortation number two today. Stay committed to Christ. Don't give up. Go back with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm sorry, chapter 3. Raise your hand if you're going to read Psalm 34 this week. Come on, let's see some commitments out there. All right. Ten of you. Yeah, God bless you. Yes, Psalm 34. Man, that is, that is the psalm to pair with this principle. God will save. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Mm. Exhortation number two, stay committed. Don't give up. That's what you want to do, right? When times get hard, you think about quitting. Peter says, don't give up. I'm I'm getting this from verse 21. See? Verse 21 says, baptism, which corresponds to this, to this salvation. Remember Noah was saved. Baptism 
corresponds to that, he says. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism. It corresponds to the flood. In the Greek, it literally means it fits the same pattern. It's it's the same idea. God saved Noah, and he's going to save you. Aren't you his baptized follower? But see, baptism is, is also... It is, a, it is a symbol of our salvation, right? He, 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 he gets into this. He tries to explain this. He doesn't try to. He does. <laughs> Excuse me. He does explain this. Baptism, which corresponds to the flood, it, it, it fits the same pattern as the flood. He said it saves you. And he, and he does clarify that. Thank goodness, right? You know, some people point to this verse and go, you see there, you got to be baptized to be saved. That's not what the verse is saying. And Peter clarifies that, right? Look, he said, I, I, I'm not talking about the removal of dirt from the body. I'm not talking about the, the you know, the washing or the, the water in and of itself. I'm talking about the appeal to God for a good conscience on the grounds of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God can forgive your sins. Why? Because Jesus died and rose again. So baptism is a reminder, yes, that we are, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus and the sacrifice that he made and the resurrection. Yes. But baptism is also a reminder of the commitment that we made. See, baptism is a public profession of faith. It is a public commitment that Jesus is precious to you. He's more precious than anything in this world. Yes, you're even willing to give your life for for him. The believers in Peter's day are struggling. They're being tempted to shy away from persecution and proclamation. And Peter says, remember your baptism. Baptism is a call to suffering, or it is a commitment to suffering. Have you ever thought about baptism in that way? We tend to reduce baptism to a, maybe a formal ritual, and we, we make sure that we explain that this is symbolic, baptism doesn't save us, but have you ever thought about baptism as a commitment to suffering? Isn't that what you're saying? When you say, here am I, Lord. I will serve you and follow you all the days of my life. I believe that's why Peter brings up baptism in in verse 21. Baptism corresponds to the flood and to salvation through water. It it, it saves you, not not this outward action, but this appeal, this plea to God for a good conscience. What, is this, what does he mean, the plea to God for a good conscience? Well, in, in, when, again, when you're being baptized, 
You're, you're seeking salvation. You're seeking the Lord to save you. But it's also a commitment regarding the way that you're going to live. Maybe you want to write this down. If we truly come to the point of desiring our sins to be forgiven. You see what Peter says there? Baptism is an appeal to God for a good conscience. God, I want my sins to be forgiven. I am sick and tired of carrying this guilt with me. I need this burden removed off my back. I am appealing to you, Lord, to wash me clean, make me a new person so that I can have a good conscience. But if you have come to that point in your life where it is so important to you that you would do anything to have your sins forgiven, then you've also come to the point that you are willing to do anything to live a righteous life. Say that again. If we truly come to the point of desiring our sins to be forgiven, then we will also be at the point of being willing to suffer for the sake of righteousness. Let me phrase this a different way. If we care enough about righteousness to ask to become righteous, then we will care enough about righteousness to live a righteous life regardless of the cost. So what is baptism? Coming to God in your greatest hour of need. I need you to rescue me from my sin because it's killing me. If you believe that your sin is killing you, you are also coming to God with a pledge, with a commitment to live according to his righteousness. And that takes courage. Peter's reminding the believers that you are the the baptized flock of God. You have cried out to God for a good conscience. Surely he has rescued you. Surely he will rescue you. Now remember your commitment and stand firm. It's a call to courage. It's a call to be courageous in the face of suffering. Remember your baptism. Remember who you are and stand firm. Be courageous. Do not be afraid of them. Like he said earlier in verse 14, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, that's a lot of S's there. Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, You will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. Be courageous. Stand firm. Face your opponents. Continue to proclaim this message. Remember your commitment and be faithful. Once there was a man who was beginning to lose interest in his marriage. The honeymoon was over. And he realized that the relationship was going to require more effort and sacrifice than he ever imagined. In the meantime, he began to be drawn to one of the women in the office where he worked. As time went on, he took off his wedding band and purposely left it on his nightstand. But his wife dearly loved him and wanted to fight for the marriage. So one day she noticed the ring on the nightstand and she took it and she placed it in his lunchbox with a heartfelt love note. That same day, the man was planning to have a private lunch meeting with the woman at the office. But as he sat down with her, 
he opened his lunchbox and he saw the ring and the note from his wife. It was in that moment that he woke up and realized how far he had drifted from the covenant that he made on his wedding day to love and cherish her no matter the cost. Baptism is like a wedding ring. It's a symbol of the covenant that you made before God and many witnesses to love and serve him the rest of your days no matter the cost. It's a call to courage. It's a call to be men and women of our word and of our covenant and of our commitment. Baptism is a reminder that we are committed. Remember earlier when I said, I, I want you to leave today with, with these simple, these three petitions, three simple petitions. Number one, trust God to deliver you. Number two, God, I will never leave you. See, that's what baptism is all about. It is a forever commitment. God, I will never leave you. You have washed me clean. I am yours. And I, I want to stand. I want to stay faithful and remain faithful to you. Remember your baptism and stay committed. The last exhortation that we'll look at today is in the final verse. And the exhortation is set your minds on your sovereign king. Look at what it says in, in chapter 3, verse 22. Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Read that again. Let that sink in. Let's get this picture in our mind. Jesus Christ, he suffered, he died, he rose again, and he has gone into heaven. He ascended into heaven. He's at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. All the powers of darkness, uh, every power, every authority is subject to Jesus. He is the king of all. How is Peter ending this, this paragraph with an exalted view of Christ? Do you remember what it said back in verse 14? Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Do not fear man, he says, but in verse 15, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. That's how Peter is ending this passage, by regarding Christ the Lord as holy. He is seeing Jesus as the supreme sovereign and savior of all. How could that be encouraging to the suffering church? We could think about it this way. Christ reigns over our enemies, so we have nothing to fear. Christ reigns. He rules. He's in charge. He is greater. He is stronger. He is mightier. There is nothing that he can't save us from. So let's fix our eyes on him. Let's trust him to carry us through the suffering through the trials. I think Peter is wrapping up this, this section of illustration, this section of, of the, that's full of metaphors. <laughs> the ark, uh, your baptism. And, and, and he's ending with this exalted view of Christ. And he's wanting us to see Christ for who he is so that we might worship him.
When I was, when I was in junior high, I, uh, I was, uh, yeah, picked on relentlessly. I had, there were these, this group of uh, bullies at the school and I was on the list of people that they would give a hard time to every day. You know what I always wished? I always wished that my dad would drop me off at school. I had to ride the bus most days. But I always wished that my dad would drop me off. Because my dad, he's 5'11". He's about 220 pounds. He hit the gym every day on the way home from work. He, you know, he, he's not built like me, okay? <laughs> he's an ex-Marine. He, he just, he could handle himself as a kid. I was always just in awe of my dad. Like, wow. <laughs> and I always knew that if my dad dropped me off, I could just walk right through the crowd of those guys and I would have nothing to worry about, nothing to be afraid of. Because at any given time, if he needed to, to wield any kind of power or authority, he could do it. And there was no junior high boy that was going to stop him. Peter's saying that Jesus is on the throne. He's at the right hand of God. Angels, authorities, and powers are subjected to him. He is stronger. He is mightier. He rose from the dead. He ascended far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And he sits at the right hand of God. We have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. He will protect us. He will protect us. Over and over again. So we turn to him for help. You say, well, what about the other times, though, Samuel? Not, God doesn't always deliver, right? Sometimes he lets us suffer. But what we can depend on and rely on and trust in is that even in our suffering, he promises not only to protect us eternally, to save our souls, but he promises to give us the courage that we need to face our fears. He'll give you the courage that you need if you exalt him as holy in your hearts. Brothers and sisters, I want to know, what do you focus on when your fears are attacking you? Think about it. Do you focus on your fears? Are you like the Israelites when they came back from the promised land? And 10 of the 12 spies said, oh, we could never take that place. There are giants in the land. What were they focused on? Focused on their fears. What were Joshua and Caleb focused on? The glory of the Lord. And what did they say? As they were focused on the glory of the Lord, what did they say? Oh, man, we're going to wipe those guys out. Who's with us? We got no, nothing to fear. If God is with us, who can be against us? Joshua and Caleb said. When you focus on this exalted Christ, when you turn to him in your fears, Look to Christ. Stop focusing on your fears. Stop worrying about your worries and look to Christ, right? How do you do that? You fall on your knees in prayer. You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he can lift you up. He will strengthen you in due time. You turn to his word over and over again. Where are your, face, your favorite places to turn when you're facing your fears? Come on, I mean, are, are there some, there's some, like some of you, when you open your Bibles, they just kind of automatically open, they, they open to some spots, don't they? Because I always turn back to Joshua chapter one when I'm feeling like crawling in a hole and hiding. I always go back to Joshua chapter one. What does he say? Four times in that passage, God says to Joshua, 
Be strong and courageous. Only be strong and courageous. What about Psalm 27? Go there with me real quick. That's another go-to. Psalm 27. I want you to see this. This is going to carry you through every storm. This exalted view of Christ. Focusing on the Lord and His glory. On His ability to save. Not on our weakness. Not on our enemies. Don't look at those places. You'll sink in the waves. Keep your eyes on Christ. Look, look at what David was doing in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Listen to the courage. Listen to this warrior talking. Listen. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, oh, they're the ones who are going to fall. They will be the ones who stumble and fall. Listen to verse 3. I love this. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Your enemies, they're, they're pressing in. You're being attacked by the kingdom of darkness. Your fears are overwhelming. Your circumstances, you don't know what you're going to do. David says, even if an army encamps against me, my heart will not fear. I'll be confident no matter what. Number four, one thing. David, where'd you get this kind of courage? David, are you just out of your mind? Where do you get this kind of courage? Verse four, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What is, David, what is David doing as people are drawing up the battle lines? As they're sharpening their swords. What is David doing? He's going to seek the presence of God. He's going to pray. And when he comes out of that prayer closet, he has so much courage that he can say, I don't really care if all the nations of the world surround me. It's like, because I know. I know that I have God's ear. I know that God loves me. I know that God's going to deliver me. I'm going to stay committed to him. And I'm going to focus on him. And I'm going to worship him right here and right now. Because by me praying and seeking God in the face of my enemies, that, that, that is glorifying to God. That is honoring to God. That is showing the world that he is more worthy of your attention and your affection in that moment than anything that they're bringing against you. Amen? Glory to God. It's awesome. You have nothing to fear. Though an army encamp against me, one thing have I asked of the Lord. Turn with me to Psalm 119. I'm going out on a limb here because I don't remember where the verses are that I'm thinking about, but... It says it so many times in Psalm 119. I'm guessing I can find one real quick here. Lord, help me. Oh, yeah, praise the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing 
for your rules at all times. You rebuke the innocent, the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Listen to verse 23. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. I love this. Princes are sitting plotting against David. The armies are getting ready to attack him. And what is he doing? He's having a Bible study. (laughs) What do you do when, when you're being attacked? Do you have a Bible study? Does your Bible open? Or do you go to your scripture memory verses? I appreciate the women's ministry. The women's ministry. Those women are are memorizing scriptures. Why? So that they always have it. So that they always have the word with them to protect them and to help them. Go back with me to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verse 6. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Listen to verse 8. This is what we need to be all about when the trials are closing in. When the cares of this world are coming upon us. Look at verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Do you see what David's doing in the midst of all the trials and the afflictions and the persecutions? Tasting and seeing that God is good, seeking refuge in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, he will not fail you. Look at Psalm 60. I want to find it. Sixty-two. Somebody read for me verse 8. Trust in him at all times, Central Baptist Church. Pour out your hearts before him. He's a refuge to you. You go to Psalm 69. Psalm 69. Listen to the context in verse 1. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the floods sweep over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. So see, he's staying committed. He's hanging in there. He's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting. God still has not come, but he is trusting that he will. And he goes on in verse 12. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate and the drunkards make songs about me. It doesn't get any worse than that. He's just the bottom of the barrel in society. Even the drunkards are looking down on him and singing about him. But verse 13 is for us. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love. Answer me in your saving faithfulness. Look at verse 29. But I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. 
When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy, and he does not despise his own people who are prisoners. When you're suffering, when you're going through persecution, when you're facing the worries and the cares of this world, look to Christ. He is a refuge, an ever-present help in time of trouble, Psalm 46, verse 3. Let's pray. I'm going to pray according to the simple outline that I gave you in the beginning. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you do not fail us, that you deliver us time and time again. And God, we trust you to deliver us today. God, in that song that we sang, O come all you unfaithful, there there are many things in that song that were mentioned to be delivered from whether it's barrenness or depression or sin or soul weariness, whatever the case is. But God, you are a great deliverer. And God, as, it, as one of the kings prayed in the Old Testament, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We trust in you to save. God, if there's anyone in here today that, that needs to look to Christ today and be saved, God, you sent your only son into this world. You love the world so much that you offered your only son. You gave your only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God, if anyone today is in need of of salvation for their souls, I pray that they would turn to you now and receive from you what you have promised to give, Lord, for those who believe in Jesus Christ. You will save their souls. If they repent, they turn away from their sins and trust in you. God, for those in the church today that are, that are carrying burdens, that are weary, that are discouraged, that are heartbroken because of the trials of this life, God, I pray that you would bring deliverance, that you would send deliverance and you would send it soon. The sooner the better. God, we need you, but in an acceptable time, you will deliver. And we put our trust in you now and we proclaim that in faith that you will deliver. God, we stay committed to you. God, we're gonna be here next Sunday if you continue to give us life. And the Sunday after and the Sunday after, God, we're not going anywhere. We have set our hope in the right place. God, we thank you for our baptism. We remember that day, God, that we fully committed our lives to you. And today we want to come back to that place of full commitment to you and give you 100% of ourselves and trust you. And Lord, we turn to you and worship because you are exalted. And we highly regard you in our hearts. And we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your word and trust that it's been an encouragement to the saints today. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, I'm gonna have Jordan come up.